As you heard in the prior episode, Jim and Matthew thought it best to share again these two great programs that represent May as Mental Health Awareness Month. Today's episode deals with sensitive topics intended for mature audiences. Depression and suicide are very serious mental health issues. If you or somebody you know is suffering from depression or has talked about hurting themselves, seek professional help immediately or call 988. You are not alone. Hope is the certainty or the expectancy that something good is going to happen. The most direct path we can take to overcoming our fears around mental illness is to leverage the power of curiosity to arrive at the place of understanding. Well, first, I'm Jim Gebhardt. Oh, I'm Matthew Grishman. That's good. We should introduce ourselves. And this podcast is all going to be about three relationships that really, when you stop and you think about them, you don't think they go together. But it's your relationship you have with money. It's the relationship you have with people who mean the most to you. And ultimately, the relationship you have with yourself. So I might imagine that those three relationships are somewhat wrapped together. That when one gets a little out of whack, perhaps it has an effect on the others. Stick around and you'll find out. Thanks for coming in today, brother. Thank you for setting it up today. Yeah, I couldn't think of a better way to spend a Saturday morning than being here with both of you in studio today. This is this is a nice special treat. I mean, yeah, every- just get out of my seat. <laughs> I love your seat. I'm sitting in your seat today. You're on the big screen today. I'm in the International Space Station. That's true. That's true. I'm grateful I'm in your seat today. What are you grateful for today? I am grateful for a lovely call with my dad. My dad has had all kinds of challenges here in the last six, seven weeks. And a nice Saturday morning call just talking about nothing in general, but just a pleasant kind of heartfelt conversation back and forth for uh, 10, 15 minutes. And it was beautiful. I'm going to go with that. Granted, it's a little early. I mean, we could always go with the fact that my eyes opened up and it's a beautiful day and all those great things that uh, we tend to take for granted. But a nice phone call with my dad was uh, a wonderful way to start the day. Well, that all sounds like fabulous things to be grateful for. Yeah. Awesome. How about you? Well, thank you for asking. I am super grateful for my wife, Amy, today. I've been thinking a little bit these last couple of days as we've been spending a little extra time together. And one of the the many special milestones of the year 2022, besides both of us turning 50 this year, is our 25th anniversary is coming up in October. We've uh, the last few days spent a lot, a lot of time together. We might get into that a little bit today. But what I was reflecting on is that in our 25 years together, Amy has never once tried to change who I am. She's always been that person in my life. I mean, prior to meeting you, brother... She was the one. She was the only person in my life that I felt has fully accepted me for who I am and has never tried to change me, even though so much of my behavior over the 32 years we've been together has been the result of this fear of losing her, of always losing her. So always, I don't know, trying to chase money, to impress her, to try to be this hero to her, yet She never, ever asked me for that. And she's always accepted me exactly who I am at that moment in time. And I'm just, I'm incredibly grateful for that. You've done the same. And I'm grateful to you for that. I'm grateful for both Amy and for you 
and for the handful of people I've met since you've both come into my life who just accept me for who I am, who meet me where I'm at and never try to change me into something I'm not. I'm really grateful for that today. Fabulous. Yeah. Can I ask a question? Sure. Who were the people that were trying to change you? <sighs> it seems like at times, almost everybody I've ever met. Was it people or was it just the picture of the ideal that you were measuring up against? I think part of it was people. Part of it was in my own head. But I do feel like most people I've ever met at some point wanted me to be something different than I was or wanted me to behave differently than I was. I'm sure part of it's in my own head, but part of it is definitely behavior that I have felt from people outside of me. And that's one of the things today I'm incredibly grateful for is that by being very intentional in my relationships, by going through exercises like our concentric circles exercise and being very clear about the people who mean the most to me, I've been very intentional about choosing people in my life at this point in my life who accept me for who I am. To answer your question in a very, very long-winded way, over the course of my life, I haven't always felt that. Yeah. And I, and I know you're not alone. I mean, come on. There's an entire series of industries that are devoted to trying to influence how you think you should act and behave and look and dress and drive and live and all of that. Sure. And those societal pressures are uh, probably worse today than they've ever been. Oh, brother, with 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 likes and sub, sub, as my kids say, subs, subs. What's I mean, that? a sub to me was, what you, do you know, mean? well, a sub. You're talking is, about a sandwich, right? Right. It's it's Drex Subs, uh, which I know you where, where was the place that you first worked? Uh, Dick Subs. Dick Subs. Yeah, yeah. So we didn't have we didn't have that in Syracuse, but we had Drex Subs. I was recently just there and and picked up a sub. And so when my kids were talking about this, I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like subscriptions. Oh, those Thumbs kinds up. of subs. I'm like, oh, you guys talk in a language that grandpa here doesn't always understand. LOL. I'm very excited in a heavy-hearted way for our conversation today. Yeah. We had an opportunity through a friend of yours that you met through your experience with TEDx to spend some time with David Woods Bartley. And David is just a remarkable human being on so many different levels. And I am thrilled that we had time with him. And the recording that we did... We didn't really know at the time how we were going to use it. Right. Or when we were going to use it. Or when we were going to use it. And David is a dynamic speaker, storyteller, and trainer. And as he says in his bio, who opens minds, touches hearts, and inspires others to action by sharing his journey from mental healthness to mental wellness. You and I, in kind of preparation for the show today, we thought of no better time than now. There is so much darkness in the world today. You and I, just when, when you think about some of the things going on in our families, in our home life, we're definitely dealing with some, some darkness in, in, our, in our personal lives. And then, you know, you just think about what's going on in our own communities. You and I have both experienced some really, really heavy stuff with very close personal friends of ours with their children 
in in the last several months, um, you know, we've just we've had some ache in our community. You think about what's going on in the United States today, and and so much of the divide over guns, abortion. You know what what's happening in our world today here in America, and and then you think about globally what's going on with the crisis in Ukraine and all the stories you're not seeing in the media that are continuing to happen with, with all this darkness in the world today. And I don't know about you, brother, but I know for me, one of the things that I've struggled with and that I've been challenged with is, is when I'm feeling this kind of darkness all around me at home, in my community, in the world around me, I tend to want to isolate. I tend to get some situational depression. I I get to, I feel sad a lot and I'm so grateful that you and I got to have that intimate conversation with David about this stuff because what I'm observing and what I'm seeing around me, besides just you and me, the challenges, Ace, that you've been through the last six months, I'm seeing a lot of people around me in my life, family, friends, clients, who are feeling this, this sense of depression right now. They're, whether, whether it's situational, whether it's clinical, obviously we're, we're not doctors, we can't diagnose that, but we, we can observe what's happening around us. And there are people feeling heavy right now. There's a lot of darkness. And what I'm also observing is a lot of people around those people feeling darkness, the people who love them, who want to help and don't know what to do. And so I think this conversation that we had with David to be able to share that conversation with our financial sobriety community today to help both people to help somebody who's feeling the heaviness today, to help somebody who's feeling that darkness and, and, and maybe through this conversation with David, potentially find an off-ramp, something that could kind of help them come out of that darkness, take those first few steps. And at the same time, the people and the family members who love them so much and want to help, giving them the tools that we were just so grateful to hear David share with us in our own lives but just be able to give those tools to the people who are out there, who are watching people suffer around them. How can we help? What are the best ways to do that? He talks a lot about the concept of connection creates hope. Yes. And boy, do and, we need that right now? In my 52 years, I can think of no better time than now where we need more hope. And the, the choice of his words, connection creates hope. So I'm not picking you apart, brother, by any means, but uh, don't forget, we're in two plus years of a pandemic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, don't for, imagine don't forget, we didn't say that. I mean, don't that, forget we have inflation of six, eight, 10 percent, a stock market correction in the 20 to 30 percent range, record high gas prices. You know, you talked about, you know, the domestic terrorism, all the current talk of abortion laws and legislation changes and the division with that. And human beings are pack animals. Yeah. We are not designed for isolation. Yeah. So if you, if you go off of just purely the, the impact of COVID and certainly the, the health risks are off the charts, right? I mean, and the millions of people that died and millions and millions of people that got sick and all the caregivers and, you know, nurses and doctors and first responders. And I mean, all, all of that, let's just, pause there for a moment in the power of that. And yet we were so incredibly isolated. 
And that isolation is having a, a ripple effect, I think. I think so much of what we're seeing today in terms of how people are feeling and some behaviors that perhaps aren't as, as good as you might like are contributing to this mental health crisis that is, it's raging. And I, I certainly can't speak to what it is outside the country, but I, I would have to think the fact that we've been globally so isolated from those we love, from the places we love, the people we love and the activities that we love, that that has a cost. And the cost of that has to be something in the space of mental wellness. So that's why I'm, you know, and excited, like I said, in a heavy hearted way that we're, we're presenting David's message today uh, because it's just, it's so powerful. It's so incredibly timely. Well, let's do and, this. Yeah, let's do this. Let's, uh, let's get the conversation with David going hum- human connection today. It's important. Let's get out of our own heads for a minute and get into David's heart. And then uh, after the conversation with David, I want to hot wash with you on a couple of things because how this conversation that we had with David a while back is helping me in my life today with what I'm dealing with at home has been nothing short of miraculous. So I am stoked to have David here with us today, our good friend, David Woods Bartley. Let's get it going. I am thrilled to have our guest in studio today as well. David, welcome in, my friend. Men, thank you so much. And for the listeners who don't have the pleasure to be with Matthew and and Jim, and it's it is an incredible energy that is here. So I just we I want, pump that in. Yeah, it's in the air. It's I, in the, it's want, the happy gas. It's yeah. good stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, David Woods Bartley, you're becoming an incredible friend, brother. I'm so grateful you're here today. David is on a mission. And he is out there in this world to transform mental illness from a disabling condition to a heroic cause, from mental hellness to mental wellness. I love that. That is awesome. Awesome. David, welcome in. Well, thank you again for, for having me. And before I forget, this this whole concept of, of empathy, my family is incredibly important to me, just, just like yours is, and I would imagine yours as well. And my sister-in-law, Stacy, and I, I bring an immediate smile because Stacy has a big personality and big hair and everything else. And, and she and my <laughs> beloved brother, Tom, do a lot of great work in, in relationships. And Stacy and I were talking about this whole concept of empathy. And, and most of the time, even I, I think it's, it's gender neutral that, you know, we, we, we want to be empathetic and we'll say, you know, I feel you. But sis looked at me and she said, you know what? I think that the best way to express empathy is I'm feeling with you. Mm-hmm. And I think it's such a, a slight difference. And in, and in my world, talking about mental illness and, and with a particular emphasis on, on suicide, is there's a beautiful saying that says shame can't survive empathy. And most of us who are in that difficult place, Matthew, that you had described in terms of being overwhelmed with the fight with the monster, as I call it, we are filled with shame. Yeah. And so one moment, and I love the distinction that you had between sympathy and empathy, one little drop of empathy makes an enormous difference. Oh, absolutely. We've got a lot to unpack and talk about here today with you. We just had another good friend of ours in studio, Julia Nicholson, who was with us on stage. Superstar. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just kind of going through her story and her experiences, talking about all the it's in life and really turning the focus in the vein of financial sobriety, right? We, we talk about these three very complex relationships every human has. We have this relationship with money, relationship with people, relationship with self. And they're all interconnected with one another. When one gets a little out of whack, 
it's going to have a spillover effect into those other relationships. Julia did a beautiful job with putting the focus on that relationship with self and being able to manage some of these it's in life that that are inevitable and how we integrate those to become a more resilient person, which allows us then to go give what it is our people really need from us, which is our presence, which is our empathy. And what we really want to have you here in studio to help with today is to continue that conversation through your lens, through your experiences on how the concept of identifying areas of self-care and then transitioning this, knowing how many people are hurting out there today, what you've learned on your journey and how you can go be connecting with people, this idea of just sitting down with somebody at times could be a game changer. It could mean the difference between life and death. So taking this episode and making it all about those that, that relationship we have with others, starting from that relationship with self and being able to go out into the world and show up best version of ourselves. Before we get into that, very important question. What are you grateful for today? And I, w- I was thinking about this, you know, without the kind of the pat answer of, oh, yeah, I have, I have a long list. And I do. But most recently, I'm grateful for this new opportunity that has been on my bucket list for a long time to have a chance to work with the Army. And the reason that's important to me is, so I have three older brothers. I'm the baby, the favorite. Of course. Exactly. So my eldest brother, who I call the general because he is, he's a two-star general, and he's in the Army vernacular, they call him a Mustang. So in other words, he enlisted way back in 1970, worked his way ultimately to West Point, graduated from West Point, and then worked his way up to be a two-star. And he's just, he's the single most important male figure in my life. And Mm. he's, he's 11 years older so he's more like a dad yeah. than he is a brother. And so I always wanted to serve. I wanted to go to West Point. I didn't have the grades and, and there were other things. Really, if I look back now, it was my fight with the monster that I don't think I would have been an effective officer. Mm. So, But the way things have worked now, just recently I had a, a video call with a three-star general and yesterday I had a 90-minute call with a two-star general and – there's another call most likely this week with another two-star general because the Army has this horrific problem of suicide. And the modern-day leadership in the Army now is really changing. They're mm. really following the lead of my brother in terms of they've become curious, interestingly, about empathy. And it was such an amazing conversation with Major General Brian Eifler, who is the commander of the U.S. Army Alaska, that he just says, David, I, I, I have to understand this. I have to, we, we, we have to do this. And, and really the whole conversation was about connection hmm. that I said, general, in, in my opinion, you know, my tagline is connection creates hope and hope saves lives. The army has a, in their effort to overcome this, they have a, a slogan that they say, okay, connect to protect. And one of the things I said to the general, I said, sir, this is good. But if you look at it, it's touting connection is the end game. And it's not. Hope is the end game. And I said, sir, you can actually use hope as a weapon. Like hope is like a unicorn and it's like puppies and and rainbows. But don't discount like the tenacity and the relentlessness and the impact of of hope as ordinance, like a laser-guided smart bomb. Yeah. Because it obliterates all that. But hope has to be activated. And it's activated by way of connection. Mm. And later on, if you want, there's an extraordinary – what do we call it? An experiment that was actually done in the 50s that 
in, from an empirical perspective, measures the impact of hope by way of a rat, believe it or not. So huh. if you ever want me to tell the story, just let me know. This sounds like I guess an appropriate this would time, be a I was going to say. So, yeah. hey, David, why don't you tell us a story about hope and the rat? There we go. Thank you so much. I just wow, I never thought of that. So, and this was done in the 50s. Wow. And the first time that I heard about this and I don't know how I was introduced to it. Back in I the thought, days of suck it up buttercup. Exactly. Wow. I'm like, okay, this can't be real. And I have quadruple plus checked it. And then there's even one source where he had the original like handwritten notes. Mm-hmm. So here's what happened. So, as a background, rats are known as as really good swimmers, especially domestic rats. So what this researcher did is take a rat, put it in a bucket of water, and time. How long could a rat swim, tread water, before it was about to drown? And on average, it was about 15 minutes. So right before the rat drowned, the researcher would take the rat out of the water, give him a chance to to dry himself off, you know, just collect his breath, catch his breath, and then put him back in the water. Oh, boy. So what would you think, men? 15 minutes the first time taken out of the water, and put back in, how long do you think on that second time that the rat could swim? I, I don't I'd think go I'd less. Go, I would go a little bit lesser. Maybe right. 10. 10 to 12. Right. No, that's that, that's a good guess. It, it, but it, the answer is 60 hours. Huh. 60 hours. So you'd think, wait a second. 15 minutes. 40 times more. I, actually, I think it's 240 times more. Cool. No, I, I didn't I didn't do my math yeah, exercise. Yeah, you didn't convert from minutes to hours. It's okay. Well, I left the decimal in the wrong. Exactly. But it really doesn't matter because you're in finance. So it did math. Nah, not, yeah, numbers and math are meaningless. Who needs that? We got a podcast. We don't need numbers. That's what Excel's for. <laughs> so if you think about that, and, and uh, there's one definition of hope, that, which I think perfectly applies here. Hope is the certainty or the expectancy that something good is going to happen. So the rat has this experience that somebody's going to save them. Hmm. And they can go 60 hours. There's only been one person, and she was a brat. So that's the impact of hope. That's why hope, this thing that has to be activated, is the answer to the problem. So hope was activated for the rat when he was rescued and dried off and saved. Correct. Hope was activated, put back in the water, and now there's an expectation that somebody's going to eventually save me. And that and that alone extended the rat's ability to tread water from 15 minutes to 60 hours. Exactly. So hope floats. <laughs> I know. That's I, amazing. I had to. That, I mean, that, well, that, the whole thing is, the, is and to think They should make a movie called Hope Floats. Right. But to think that that empirical data has been around for 70 years. Right. And we still all don't know that story. You're right. Right. I mean, it's too profitable to allow out. We've got to keep that under wraps because as long as we don't have hope out there, we've got lots of stuff we can sell you and make lots of money on to manufacture hope in a different kind of way. And I'm welcoming Saul the skeptic into the studio today. It's been a while since you've been here, pal. <laughs> well, he's back. He's fresh off an East Coast trip and yeah. lots of skepticism here. Sure. So you bought you you packed the overnight bag with all your skepticism <laughs> and it's so nice to see you. Absolutely. You can leave now. Well, no. It's a good day to bring the skeptic into the yeah, room because absolutely. hope is here. Right. Right. It, it, and you think it, it, I did the more I, I dwell on this. And sometimes I'll be honest with you that I second guess what I do. Because when I talk about suicide and mental health, I 
in a nutshell, I wrap it in animal stories, or in this case, the story of a rat, which is new. So I was married to a, a wonderful woman who is still a really close friend, and we ran this very large animal sanctuary that was home to as many as 100 animals. And we did no adoptions because we wanted the ones that were old and sick and disabled and the throwaways. So that all came to a, a crashing end, which is, which is a different story. But there's an essential aspect in that about a connection that was made in the most unlikely of places. But now life, however we define it, I'm working out or I'm in the car or I'm in the presence with three amazing men and a story will pop in my head like the one used in the TED Talk about Murphy. I'm like, wow, that works. And what I've noticed is it gives – because of the intensity of the subject, especially around suicide, a story, especially an animal story, gives people safe proximity to the subject and then they're all parables. It's not like, oh, my gosh, look at the little cute bunny. No. There is a parable. There is a specific teen cheek point just like the one with Murphy. And the whole – the net-net, as a dear friend of mine says, is, is all about hope. Like hope will win the day. We, and I think we're stepping over it. And it was interesting with, with the, the conversation with General Eiffel yesterday. He's, he's like, yeah, I think – the Army's doing great stuff, but it needs to, to add these other things. And, and, and part of it is I spend about half my talks really talking about the problem first. Yeah. Because if we jump right to the solution, like I would imagine in the souls who are who benefit being in your presence and to untangle the complexity of their financial lives, you first have to understand what the problem is. Where are they at? Absolutely. Before you can say, hey, let's go ahead and go into bonds, whatever that is. Yep. Well, and as and I don't know if we've really talked about this on our show, but there is such a deep human element to the conversation around money. Mm. Right. We should write a book on that. Absolutely. I'll make a note. Or a podcast. The, the, that too. The analogy that we use is we have to start at the surface level. We have to start at the skin, right? And if we go straight to bone, they're out. Right. They're gone. Right. It's just too fast, too much. They can't handle it. Much in the same way, if you go, here's the solution to suicide, you can't do that with an audience on this topic because you've got to, you know, warm them up to what the problem is. And I'm thrilled to hear that organizations as big and, and powerful as the Army are open to change in this area given the pandemic that exists with, with suicide in the military. That's amazing. I want to stay on this idea that you've kicked off here with us on this idea of creating hope, of triggering hope, of instigating hope, like what was done in the RAD experiment. It requires humans to do something. And we have this idea that we've teed up already today, this concept of empathy that that seems to be on life support. It doesn't seem to exist very frequently in the world today. It's not in the kind of abundance that we would hope that it's in today. So I think if we can start by just diving into that a little bit and trying to understand why empathy is on life support, why we're not seeing it as much, what the challenge is, and, and what the ultimate paradox is – to how empathy is the solution to the problem, right? The, the, the problem that empathy is not in existence today, the actual solution is empathy in and of itself. And I, I just, I want to start there and talk about what we're seeing in the world today and why is it so hard in your experience, David, for somebody to be able to just sit down and be with somebody. You've shared this, that literally saving a life could be as simple as just sitting down, yet it seems like everywhere I look, I don't know about you, brother, 
people people are having a hard time finding the capacity to do that. And I think if I if I may, I would go so far as to say that empathy is a lot like hope in the sense it has to be activated. It, it's like respect too. Respect doesn't just you don't walk into a room necessarily and have an experience of respect. And here is the path. It's curiosity. So I think what's happening is we, every single one of us, to, to whatever degree, at the extreme, the souls that find themselves in the place of wanting to end their life and, and those who have some level of upset. And there's this amazing stat. It's, I guess it's amazing in the sense that it really paints this a truly authentic picture that 70% of the adults in the United States have, have had at least one experience of significant trauma. So we're walking around not broken, injured, wounded, like we're hurt. So I think what happens is, is because we, especially now, and, and to the extent that, that COVID has really exacerbated, brought to, because we're isolated, it's brought the, the pain to the level, we want to talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we're not pausing to ask questions. Hmm. Really, so one of the things that I say in regards to mental illness is the most direct path we can take to overcoming our fear, and let's say disconnection, around mental illness is to leverage the power of curiosity to create the space of understanding. Ooh, could, the, you, could you repeat that, please? I could. Thank you. That the most direct path we can take to overcoming our fears around mental illness is to leverage the power of curiosity to arrive at the place of understanding. Because the reality is, in my opinion, the opposite of fear is not calm. The opposite of fear is understanding. The more we understand, the less we fear. So quick, short version of a longer story about one of the animals. We had a beautiful pond in the back and we had geese. On this particular day, a goose named Adia, A-D-I-A, which is Swahili for beautiful because he was an African goose, not that bright white swan-like. He had all these beautiful combinations of browns and blacks and everything else. So I put him on the cusp of the pond in the front of everything that is ideal for a goose. But instead of going into that, he jumped into the small bathtub-sized water trough that was on the edge of the pond for the animals, to, the other animals to drink out of. We bring people to the cusp of resources, financial, mental health, whatever they are, and yet instead of that, they jump into the small bathtub-sized water trough of their suffering, and it makes no sense. Like, what up, dude? So I thought, well, maybe he's stressed. Kind of a different environment, most likely. Take him out, put him back on that spot, he jumps back in. Hmm. Okay kind of starting to annoy me a little bit. I, I don't understand your behavior. We do this like 10 times, and I've moved along the spectrum of, hmm, that's odd. You're annoying. I don't like you. It just makes no sense. So yep. I get real worked up. D, my former beloved, comes and looks at the situation, goes and makes a call to the rescue organization and comes back and says, honey, guess what I found out? I'm like, what? Found out that Adia had lived his whole life in the small confines of somebody's filthy backyard and the only water that this goose had ever seen was that that filled up about half of a small little kiddie pool. What, no wonder. What an idiot I am. And here's the beautiful thing when we understand somebody. Yeah. In that moment, a solution came. I'm like, just get a second water trough. Like, but that solution is not available when I misunderstand. Right another sentient being. Right. And you, and you didn't have the curiosity at that point. Exactly. Unless, I mean, D is who brought you the solution, which triggered a little bit of curiosity, which brought some understanding to the solution. Right. So we bring somebody to the edge of all these resources. Well, we don't know their story. Everybody has a story. The great sage, Mr. Rogers said, quite frankly, there's no one you can't learn to love once you know their story. Right. 
There's no one you can't learn to understand once you know their story. So I, I sat down. <laughs> okay, this is an amazing experience. Like I said, you know what? Okay, my man, if he wants to stay in a water trough, God love you. So I'm looking at the other geese, which interestingly were Mercy and Grace, and then Dave, who was a duck, who thought he was a goose. <laughs> so I'm sitting down just taking all this in, in this, because of Deanna, this energy of acceptance, this energy of understanding, which, which literally exudes from us. Five minutes later, Adia jumps up out of the water trough, walks around my back, sits down right next to me, and then cocks his head and looks up at me. <laughs> Wow. I'm just like, I want him to hug me. Please forgive me for my ignorance. Five minutes after that, he stands up, walks to the same place, to the edge, looks at it, Mercy, Grace, and Dave, looks at the water trough, turns around and looks at me, then eyes front, swims into the pond. That's awesome. When a soul is misunderstood, has not been given the opportunity to tell their story, to, to give air to their thoughts. In the words of the Lady Bird Johnson says, an opportunity to hurt out loud, they're disconnected. They're never going to move forward. But once we understand their story, we give them a chance to be understood and connected. At least there's a likelihood that they're going to move in to experience what they were entitled to be. Mental health is not a privilege, it's a right. It is as inalienable right as freedom is. And, and I love the imagery and the reality that Adia swam into the presence of mercy and, and grace. grace. Yeah, that is that's awesome. I you have me on bated breath as you tell that beautiful story. I am so curious, as I'm sure we all are, on your story and how did you get on this path to make mental wellness a mental wellness. Thank you for the question. So I have battled the monster. I'm 58 years old. I've battled the monster since I was 11 years old. And, and one of the things that I've learned... Let me, does, let me, this, does this monster have a name? You know, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just the monster. Yeah, that's a good question. What does the monster feel like? Oh, well, I'll tell you a story. Okay. One of the pups, a Boston Terrier, there's only two ingredients in a Boston. It's 51% gas and 49% enthusiasm. Right. So <laughs> it is. My wife might say the same thing about me. I, I thought so. <laughs> One of the pups that came to the sanctuary was named Winston. Now, again, Bostons are the epitome of annoying exuberance and joy. But when Winnie came, I thought he was dead. But then I, I watched his chest expand and contract. And I put him down, and his ears were low, eyes barely open, chin so low that when he, we, when he was able to walk, his chin dragged on the carpet. I'm like, why is he the opposite? I've had 40 Bostons. I've never seen a Boston like this. And what we found out is that some person decided, had decided to use Winston as a bait dog in a dogfighting ring. And it's an awful story that I use with great intention because it's the best example that I can share in response to what does it feel like? It's like that. It's like having the incredibly terrible pain of a, of a toothache, of a migraine, coupled with the saddest experience you've ever had in your life, so that period of sadness where you feel like you're never going to be happy again, Yeah. mixed in with acute self-hatred and an experience of fatigue where not only can you not keep your eyes open, you can't open your eyes. And then you fashion all that together like, like a coat, but dip it in water, this heavy like parka coat, dip it in water and then wear it. 
put lead in the pockets and then put your hands behind your back and allow the monster to handcuff you and says, okay, man, bring it. So it's safe to say that when the monster's got its grip on you, you get lost inside of you with a feeling of such incredible sadness, despair, fear, anxiety. I mean, all these words we've heard to describe that's what's going on with you when you're in the grips of the monster. Exactly. And and there's you can imagine this Winston in the midst of not just one fighting dog, but but a whole combination that that ultimately what happened is this all he could do is retreat into a fetal position. Yeah. And hope and pray. And what I say is people don't die from schizophrenia and bipolar and depression. They die from hopelessness. Mm. They do. But the beautiful thing is people do not kill themselves when they're hopeful. Never. They never do that. They never kill themselves when they have hope. Never. So as you describe this experience with Winston, with your goose, who I'm already forgetting her name. Adia. Adia. Thank you. You yourself have been gripped by this monster, yet you've gotten to experience Adia and Winston, as they're gripped by their monster, what has that done for you with dealing with the monster yourself in, in being present for these other beings? I mean, how, how were you able to put your own stuff aside and be there for these animals? And what did that do for you? And it really, brother, it's really, it goes back. And it's kind of, I think, an overused word. And people kind of just put it to the shelf and say, oh, yeah, I've heard that. But it really is self-care. And it, it is that for me to be well, and I'll be, I'll, let me just make a quick tangent. I still have terrible days. I still have days of thinking about killing myself. There are days that the monster is just owns me. Raging. Exactly. Yeah. But, but they're days. They're not weeks. They're not months. They're not years. And that's a huge distinction. Sure. So self-care, you could say self-love, but I think when we use those terms, people dismiss them as too new agey and touchy feeling and everything else. So, Let's just put it that it's a plan of attendance to your own needs. And, and it is in the triangle that you talk about. For me, it's body, mind, and again, in spirit, however you define that. So it's sleep, diet, exercise, time outside, therapy, psychiatry, peer support, which I think is the single most important thing because hope is hearing other people's experiences. Like, wow, you sit in the presence of someone and you realize that everything I'm thinking and feeling is normal and then there is whatever your own spiritual practice is. It doesn't mean, I mean, for me, it was running the sanctuary for sure. a great many years. And then a sense of purpose. So actually, to, to clarify, the sanctuary no longer exists, but life has given me the opportunity to leverage the experience, to honor Deanna, to, to honor those animal beings, and then endeavor because my life was saved to give back. So part of the answer to the question is every time this included, that I get to share my story, one additional layer of shame gets taken off. And I'm like, because I tell my story, yeah. and, and you three have, have not ended this session because there is like something as the mouthpiece, something that I'm saying is a value. And, and for a person that still to this day struggles with that I am a value, this is a blessing. Yeah. I mean, this is a gift beyond words. Just sharing your story. I mean, th- this is kind of where I'm going with this, and I'm, I'm so glad— you're sharing where this comes from through self-care because one of the biggest pieces you shared with us in this talk of self-care 
is being able to give to others, being able to somehow use your story, use your experiences as a way to be of service to others. It's almost like you've introduced us to this paradox of how you at times are dealing with your own monster. And at the times that that monster has a grip on you, how sometimes the best way to handle that at that time to get out of your own head is to get into somebody else's heart. Exactly. You're exactly right. And there's where it's an interesting thing. So if you look at self-care, all these different components like a vehicle, right? it has to have fuel, it's connection. And the interesting thing about self-care is, I'm sorry, the interesting thing about connection is I don't think there's any more pure form of reciprocity. And so thus, it is something that I can do for the benefit of of someone else. But for me, it's also something, it's a tenant of my self-care. So in other words, people will ask me at the end of a talk and say, okay, on your tough days, what do you do? And I said, the single most important thing that I I do, the first thing is I got to go make connection. I'm going to call a little timeout. I want to press pause at this point in the conversation because, man, have we covered a lot of ground. I don't want to overwhelm all of us with everything at once. So let's pick up the conversation with David tomorrow. Part two, David Woods Bartley. We'll see you in the morning. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety, I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.